Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Today, we're continuing in our series that we are calling Now What? Um, where if you haven't been here, what we're talking about is how to have a growing relationship with God. Because kind of here's what we've uncovered during this series, um, is that for many people, they've come to the place of exchanging old life for new life in Christ, um, putting their faith in Jesus, that's good, but then they kind of stop right there. And maybe they're asking the question, well, like, now what? Now what do I do? Or maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus for quite a while. Um, but if you got real honest today, your journey with God has grown stagnant. And so now you're kind of maybe secretly wondering, well, now what do I do? I mean, like, this, is this all it's about? And so we're talking about some really basic building blocks on what does it mean to know and follow and have a relationship with Jesus? Because here's what we said a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again, that for many people, their journey of following Jesus looks like this. It looks like 60 minutes at a church building, whether it's got a steeple or it's in a shopping center. Okay, 60 minutes one day a week, and they listen to some songs, hope they play my favorites, listen to the preacher, hope he tells a funny story, and then they pack up the family, and they hit their week, okay? And there's basically no communication, no connection with God until seven days later they show back up. And here's what we said last week, if you only eat one meal a week, you don't expect to grow really fast, okay? And so, man, we're talking about the fact that Jesus didn't call us to an event, but he called us to a relationship, And that matters for all of us in the room. And so today we're going to talk about another building block on how to have a growing relationship with God. And hopefully last week, man, you begin to put some of these things into play. A ton of our resources flew out the door last week on how to make Scripture a part of your life every single day. Um, And so today, if you have a copy of Scripture, open up to Matthew chapter 6. I'm there towards the beginning of your New Testament. Matthew chapter 6. Love for you to have a hard or digital copy available in your lap. And we'll put the scripture um, as well as some points, some key points behind me on the screen today um, for you to track along with. Today, we're going to be looking at the building block of prayer in our relationship with God. What does it look like to communicate with God? Um, Corey Ten Boom once posed this question. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? I love that. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? What a powerful question, because for many people, prayer has become a last minute rescue mission rather than a building block to an ongoing daily relationship with God. And so here's the mission today. If you want to know where we're going, this is it. Today, I want you to understand that prayer matters for your life, that God designed prayer for you, for you to personally communicate and know him. That's why he's laid it out. And so in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching, and it records his longest recorded message, his longest sermon in all of Scripture. And so if Jesus is talking about prayer, which he is, we're like, hey, we should probably listen to what he has to say. And so we're going to walk through what Scripture says um, out of Jesus' mouth towards prayer. Pick up with me Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 5. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, before we dive into the main section of our passage today, I want to first kind of connect uh, some, some dots and correct some misunderstanding about prayer. Because in our Bible Belt, okay, everybody, right, loves God. 
Everybody goes to church, everybody prays, okay? At least that's what we think. And so here's what happens, that we have some misunderstandings, misconceptions about prayer. So I want to give you two statements today at the beginning to correct some of that, and then we're going to walk through some more verses together. So here's the first truth about prayer that we have to understand, is that in prayer, being personal is more important than being public. Being personal is more important than being public. In verse 5, Jesus, he just spoke about the hypocrites of his day. And he says where they got prayer wrong was when they prayed to be seen. They wanted to be seen. Um, The theologian and commentator uh, by the name of William Barclay, he says this. See it on the screen. It says, when a man begins to think more of how he is praying rather than of what he is praying, his prayer dies upon his lips. So Jesus says, when the goal is to be public and seen, we are praying with wrong motives. But when we're praying from a personal place of desire, God hears and he answers. Now, this does not mean, okay, this does not mean that we don't pray in public, okay? It's still okay to pray at events. It's okay to pray at your life group gathering. It's okay to pray at our large gathering here that we do every single week, okay? And listen to me, men, all right? This, this is not an excuse for you to go, hey, look at your spouse and go, like, I don't have to pray with you. Or like, I don't need to pray with my family. Don't go home and say that, okay? The preacher did not say that that's your write-off to not do that, okay? Men, we still lead out in our families, But what Jesus says here is that when we pray from a personal place of desire, God hears and he answers. So being personal is more important than being public. Look at verse 7. It says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Verse 8, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So the second truth that we understand about prayer to correct our misunderstanding is that the heart is more important than the words. Our heart is always more important than our words. Jesus says there in scripture that pagans believe that praying more words makes their prayer more right. Okay, so they go on babbling. And some of you have experienced this firsthand because every time your extended family gets together, all right, you got that uncle that gets called on to pray. He gets called on to say the blessing and he starts and like he starts using words that he would never use in personal conversation. But all of a sudden, like it's his prayer script. And then he prays like he hasn't talked to Jesus in like five years. And so he starts praying for everything under the sun and you're like uncle ed like then they just say say the blessing like isn't that it okay and if you don't if you don't say amen you have to pray for some more food because what we cooked is going to be spoiled and rotten all right some of you that's that's what it is what jesus is saying is that prayer the effectiveness of prayer is not based on the quality or the quantity of our words but it's based on the heart with which we pray with Okay, it's based on the heart with which we pray with. And so my goal today is not to like get you to walk out of here being some professional prayer. Like that's, I don't know how to do that, number one, but like that's not the goal today. The goal is to shape the desire of your heart to pray. That's, that's where we're going today. And so when we pray, we realize that being personal is more important than being public and our heart is more important than our words. Now, in the rest of our time, here's what we're going to do. Verses 9 through 13 outline and walk through what in Scripture is known as the Lord's Prayer. All right? And we're in the Bible Belt, and I'm going to just go out on a limb and go, I bet that almost everybody in the room has been in a locker room, at a ball game, at an event, whatever, where the Lord's Prayer was recited. And everybody bowed their head, and everybody went through the script. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, yada, yada, yada. Amen. Okay? I've been in those locker rooms myself with a team before where, man, that was, that was the game time prayer. All right? And we recited that thing. We spit it out as fast as we could. And then, like, we told everybody that our team prays before we play. All right, we ought to win a championship. Okay? Never happened. But here's the deal. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. It's a part of Scripture. Like, that's a good thing. 
There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer unless you don't mean it. Right? Unless you don't mean it. And here's what happens. See, when, when that happens in those events that I've been in before, we move into this mindless repetition of words, but it's not something that's really reflectant of the desire of our heart. And the reality is that half the people in the place, half the stuff they're saying, they don't even know what they're talking about. All right? They're just reading the script. And so what I want us to realize today is that prayer, communication with God, it's not a mindless repetition of words. It's not just something that we say. And second, as we step into the Lord's prayer today, I want us to realize that Jesus never said, pray these exact words. I know what Jesus said. No, Jesus says, this is, this is a model, an outline of how you should pray and what you should pray for. And so I want us to see that today as we interact with scripture. And here's what we're going to do. If you're taking notes today, we're going to talk about five different actions that take place in prayer. And hopefully as you see those today, your mind's going to be opened up a little bit more. You'll have a little more understanding about this communication avenue that God's created for you. All right. So go back to verse nine, Matthew chapter six, verse nine. This is what it says. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name or set apart be your name. The first action I want us to see today in prayer is this realizing our position. In prayer, we realize our position. The second word of Jesus' prayer was what? Our Father. All right? Our Father. Prayer is the position of a child talking to their daddy, talking to their father. I remember uh, the first time that I asked my daughter, Kate, who uh, came into our family back in March, the first time that I asked her to pray at one of kind of our family little sit-around gatherings, and, uh, and we all bowed our head to pray, and, and she says, hey, daddy. And I like looked up real quick, and I realized she wasn't talking to me. She was talking to God. And as her earthly dad, I thought, yes, yes, she gets it because she understands the position of prayer is a child talking to God as father, as daddy. Now, we have to realize that not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. So maybe going like, well, what, what, what you talking about? Hold on just a second. Okay. In God, the father of all things, right? No God, no, God is creator of all things, but he's not father of all things. Okay. God created cockroaches and buzzards and rats, but he ain't their daddy. All right. He's not, he's not father by creation. He's father by new birth. He's fathered by new birth. And scripture makes it clear where Jesus lays this out about the children of God. And here's what it says. John chapter 1 verse 12. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. See, Jesus says the only people who are counted as children of God are those who, have believed, who believed and trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. In other words, there's been a, a conscious point where they've exchanged the old life of sin and self, and they've started this relationship with Jesus. They've chosen to let Jesus take reign, Jesus take lordship. And for those people, they are in Christ. But for those who have not believed what it just says, they do not know the blessings of being a child of God and praying as a child of God. So the first and most powerful thing that any of us can do for our prayer life, okay, don't miss this, write this down. The first and most powerful thing that you can do for your prayer life with God is to become a child of God. To become a child of God. Because some of you are, are, are living outside of the family of God. You've never come to that place of surrendering and letting Jesus have control. But when you do, there is power in the position of praying as a child of God. Paul would say this, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, because you are his sons, now that you're in Christ, now that you're family, God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts. And here's what the spirit does. He allows us to call out Abba, Father. 
Now, this term Abba literally means daddy. It just means father. Scripture says when you pray from the position of a child talking to your dad, there is access that is given to God the Father. Have you ever thought about calling the one who scooped out the seas and who formed the mountains and who flung out all the stars and who's controlling the universe right now? Have you ever thought about calling him daddy? Because when you pray and you're in Christ, that is the access you are given. Is a child talking to their father. And so we realize our position that we pray as a child to our father. And then Jesus goes on to say this in Matthew 6 verse 10. He says, your kingdom come. He's talking to God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the second action of prayer is this. It is aligning our purpose. Aligning our purpose. Jesus prays. He says, Father, he says, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. In other words, the purpose of prayer is that our will would be aligned with God's will and that God's will might be done. That's the purpose of prayer. Through the purpose of prayer, we're saying that what God wants is what we want. We're saying what God wants is what we want. Now, a lot of people get this thing really all bent up and backwards, and they start thinking that, hey, prayer is like this kind of exercise where I'm trying to bend the will of God to fit my will and my desires. Like, like we're going to get God to act and do something that he wouldn't ordinarily do. Okay, let me just say, that ain't it, all right? His character is not changing. The purpose of prayer is to, to seek the will of God and then to align ourselves with it. God, what are you doing, and how can I align myself with it? So the purpose of prayer is that God's will might be done. Now, somebody might be possibly dare to think in this moment, like, well, if it's just all about just God's will being done, like, I don't get what I want. I'm, I'm not going to pray. Why, why would I pray when I don't get what I want? Listen to me. Okay. If that's you and maybe your heart's leaning that way, it's like, well, I don't, I don't understand. Why is God doing it that way? Listen to me. Okay. What God wants for you is what you would want for you if you and I had sense enough to want it. Okay. I'm going to say that again. What God wants for you is what you would want for you if you and I had sense enough to want it, all right? God's will is what's best for you and me. Whether we realize it or not, whether we want to submit to it or not, God's plan is what's best for us. And God's will is not there to hem us in, but it's there to free us up to the plans and the purposes that he has for us. Now, the, the world's like, no, 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 don't do that. It's restricting. It's captivating. No, no, no. It's freeing. That's what it is. There's freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. First John chapter 5, verse 14 says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Check it out. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Scripture says power is found when we begin to pray the will of God. So what's the million dollar question? How do we know what the will of God is? How do we know? You ready? Here it is. You know the will of God and you begin to pray the will of God when you live in relationship with him. Not an event but you live in relationship with him and God begins to make his will known to us. John chapter 15, verse seven, look at it. Jesus says, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that word remain that I just read in the NIV or some versions is translated abide. It literally means to lean on Jesus moment by moment, daily relationship with him. Remember the transfer of trust into the chair that we would transfer the weight of our life onto Jesus. And when we do, and kind of like we talked about last week, scripture moves from just like more than just words on a page and something that the preacher talks about on Sunday, but it becomes a part of our life and it affects the attitudes of our heart and the emotions that we have. Okay. And God's spirit becomes alive in us and is moving us. Here's what happens. Okay. 
our wills and wants start to become God's wills and wants. And they begin to align up. And we begin to take on the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he helps us know how to pray and what to pray for. And we begin to align our purposes with him. Um, The late great pastor Adrian Rogers uh, said this. He said, prayer is the Holy Spirit finding a desire in the heart of the Father and then putting that desire into our hearts and then sending it back to heaven through the power of prayer of the cross. Such a cool picture. See, when we begin to understand the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with the will of God, it changes the way that we pray. I mean, literally, it begins to change the things that we pray. And all of a sudden, our prayers change from like, hey, God, like, can you work in this situation? Can I help this out to work in my favor? And like, God, would you make this happen? Like, I really like one of those, or I would really like him or her. Like, could you make that happen? Okay, and, and our prayer begins to change to, God, would you help me to understand and trust your plan and your purposes in this situation? Would you align me with you? And we begin to change our prayers to, God, you know my heart God, you know my desires. You know what I long for. You made me. But God, if my desires are not your desires in this situation, would you change me? And would you align me with what you're doing? Because your plan's better. All right? And I didn't say it's an easy prayer, but it's right. And it's what Jesus calls us to. And if I'm honest, those are not easy prayers to pray when you need an immediate provision. When someone you love is hurting or sick. Those are not easy prayers to pray, but they align us with the plans and the purposes of God. And here's the deal. Sometimes the greater, the greater faith is praying for the faith not to believe that God can provide or heal or come through, but the greater faith that we ask for is the faith that we could align our will with God's will. Because many times that gap is wide. And so we pray, God, give me the faith to align myself with you. And so we recognize our position. We align ourselves with the will of God. Then verse 11, look back, Matthew 6, 11. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. So here's the third action of prayer. is asking for provision. That we would ask for provision. I mean, this part of the prayer, Jesus is teaching us that God will supply all of our needs when we ask in accordance with his will. Um, one of the greatest promises in all of scripture. This is a good one to write down. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs. How many needs? All your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God will supply all of your wants, okay? Now, I know you want that new outfit. Fellas, you want that new big 70-inch big screen, okay, for football season. Let's just be honest. That's kind of in the want category and not in the need category. But it says that God will supply all of your needs. Now, sometimes we want things that we don't need. But it says that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches. All right. And I hadn't seen his bank account statement, but it's rich. It's full. It's never gone into the negative. And he can be trusted. And when we come to God asking for provisions, it is the picture of us coming to God and leaning all our weight into his arms to go, I can't make it happen. And if it's going to come through, Jesus, you're going to do it. God, you're going to do it. And so we ask God for provision. Now, Jesus prays in verse 11, he prays, give us today our daily bread. Now, Jesus is not just saying that all we can ask for is for food or say the blessing for our food. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you ask for what you need. In other words, if you need a job, then you ask God for it. If you need transportation, then you ask God for it. If you need a place to live, then you ask the Father, Daddy, 
You know my needs. And would you align me with your will? And would you provide according to your riches as I follow you? We align ourselves. See, God is a good dad. And he longs to provide for the needs of his kids. However, Scripture warns us that sometimes there are people in Christ who do not have their needs met because they don't ask. They fail to pray. James chapter 4, verse 2, look at it. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Sounds like our world. Check it out. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, the tension that we fight in our sinful flesh is we believe we have to make it happen on our own. All right, that's somebody's mail right there. I just read it, and it's mine on a lot of days. We believe we have to make it happen on our own, but listen to me, okay? I'm not saying that we don't couple faith with actions. James is also very clear about that. We couple faith with actions. We don't just pray and then sit on the couch and eat Cheetos and wait for it to happen, all right? We walk this thing out. But what Scripture is saying is that God invites us. He gives us permission and responsibility to tell God what we need. But can I tell you a secret? He actually already knows. He actually already knows. Look at it. Psalm 139, verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. God already knows what we need. And so maybe some of you are going, well, why in the world I got to pray? Well, I don't got to pray if he already knows, okay? Why don't you just make it happen? Because here's why. When we pray, there's a transfer of trust that takes place. And we go, it's not about my inability and my insufficiency to do it my way. But God, this is an act of trust that I'm trusting you. And so I'm coming to you, Dad, trusting that your plan and your purposes are better. And we, and we transfer, and it's called faith. And we pray in faith. And scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so in prayer, we realize our position. We align our purpose with God. And then we ask for provision. Um, go with me to verse 12. Matthew 6, verse 12, it says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who have done wrong to us. The next action of prayer is this one. It's seeking out pardon. That we would seek out pardon or forgiveness. Now, in this section of prayer, Jesus gets real. He's stressing the importance of transparency as we pray. What he's saying is, hey, God knows you inside and out. God knows all the things that you've done. He knows all the things that you're going to do. He knows our weaknesses. He knows where we fall short. He knows those secret habits. He knows those uh, sinful thoughts that we have that nobody else knows. And here's what we have to realize. Part of prayer, part of prayer is seeking pardon or asking forgiveness of God. Okay? We've said it today. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we pray not as a child of God. And he, and he cannot hear. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we don't pray, pray in alignment with his will. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we don't ask. We don't pray. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because there is unconfessed sin in our life. And it stands as a barrier between us and God. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 says this. It says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. In other words, he has the ability. But verse 2, look at it. But your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Now, hear me out. 
It's not that God cannot hear, but that it's God has chosen not to listen because we have put up a barrier between us and God. Now, Scripture does not say that if you've ever sinned, God won't listen to you. Okay, all right, that, that would be really bad news because that would cancel all of us out. No, Scripture is clear that when you trust Jesus with your life, when you allow Him to be Savior and Lord and you surrender to Him and you go, God, your plans and your purposes and I'm living for you and I'm trusting what Jesus has done, when that happens, there's a change in legal status before God. We move from unrighteous to righteous in Him. We go into the family. But we cannot get that so confused that we think that there will never be tension between the child and the father when the child wants to live with hidden sin. All right? We put up a barrier between us and God. And sometimes, okay, sometimes we fight so hard to justify in 10,000 different ways that lie where we cheated, uh, where we fell short, that secret attitude, that secret hat. We, we want to justify as best we want. We try to justify it. All right? But the whole time, here's what's happening. Listen to it. Psalmist says it this way. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What does that mean? What does it mean to cherish sin in our heart? Well, here's how that practically sounds in our world. We say things like, well, I mean, everybody's got a little sin in their life. Like, everybody's got something that they do. Like, this, this is kind of my little thing. Everybody falls short. Nobody's perfect. Like, this, this is kind of my little deal. Right. Here's what we're really saying in that moment. Listen to me. Here's what we're really saying. We're saying that there is no sorrow and no repentance for that sin that separates us from a holy God. That's, that's what we're really saying. Okay? Now, we can interpret it how we want to interpret it and make, it, make us feel like we want to make, make us feel. But that's what God hears. And listen to me. If that's where you're praying from, and you're hanging on to that little thing like, it'll be okay, I just got this little deal. If you're hanging on to that, but then you're rolling up to God and you're going like, hey God, like, man, I got this thing going on at work this week. Like, how about coming through for me on this one? Or like, hey, look, here's a little last minute rescue prayer. Okay, would you bail me out on this thing? God, would you provide in this way? We got this deal going on. Listen to me. But, it, but you've got that sin in your heart. All right, listen to me. Don't be surprised when God doesn't respond. He told us. Don't be surprised when God doesn't respond. And husbands... I'm one. Scripture gets real specific with us in that area. I mean, he, he, it's very clear for us. Look at it. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. All right, all the husbands lean in. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Well, why would we do all that? Here's why. Listen to it. Listen. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Fellas, God's word says you better pursue peace and forgiveness with your bride or otherwise God's not listening to your prayers. And now I know what all the defensive flesh and the, and the men just rose up in the room. Okay, because I'm a husband too. And like you just thought, well, like she's wrong too. Like she, she needs to come tell what she's sorry. I mean, no, don't you, let, let me just tell you that side of the story. Let me, all right, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. The leader always goes first. The leader always goes first. And what we model, she will ultimately reflect. Okay? I say it was easy, but it's right. Okay? Real talk here. Real talk. There are Saturday nights where as I get ready to stand before you and pray with you and pray for you and lay out God's word and his truth to you, where I have to sit down on the bed and look at my wife and I have to own some things. 
where I have let her down or where I have let God down or where I have not been the husband that I'm called to be. Because I don't want anything to stand between us so nothing would stand between me and God as I try to lead you. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was easy. But it's right. It's right. Think with me for a second. If we came to God as followers of Him, as children of Him, if we came to God, all of us, with unrepentant sin in our heart, and then God just answered and He gave us everything that we wanted just like we asked, what would God be doing? He'd be endorsing the sin in our life. Going like, that's good. Just hang on to that. It'll be all right. No, He's a good dad. He's a good dad. And He hears the prayers of His children. But we have to deal with our sin. First, we acknowledge it to God. And then remove that barrier so that we can pray with full access to God the Father. And he loves to listen. But you know where the first place that we own our sin, the first place? To him. And listen to how he responds. Look, listen to it. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess, if we own our sins, he, God the Father, he is faithful and he's just. And he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay. Some of you, this is going to blow your mind. God isn't a daddy standing there with a belt ready to wear you out when you confess your sins. Some of you, that's all you knew growing up. No, he's a good dad, and he loves his kids. Scripture said he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in love, and he's compassionate towards those he's created, but he's also a holy God, and therefore he cannot tolerate sin. He would go against his own character, right? So we pray by seeking out pardon. It's part of the response. It's part of the action. One more verse. Look at it. Matthew 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's the final action of prayer. It's finding our protection. Finding our protection. In the final verse, Jesus models praying against the power of the enemy and the power of temptation in our life. See, in this journey, in this relationship of following Jesus right here, sometimes we forget it's a war. You woke up to a war this morning. I'm not talking about what went down with your kids. I'm talking about it's a war, all right? And we have a real enemy, and he's stronger than us, and he's smarter than us, and he's more strategic than us. And here's what he knows. You ready? Here's what he knows. If he can keep you from praying, he can beat you every time. If he can keep you from praying, he will whip you every single time. And that's why Jesus says in this prayer, he goes, hey, listen, pray this way. He says, pray that you would find protection from God. Um, the great pastor Charles Spurgeon once said that we should pray like this. Look at it. It's so good. God, when there is opportunity to sin, do not give me the desire. God, when there is desire to sin, do not give me the opportunity. So good. What a powerful statement because too many times, me included, we roll out of bed in the mornings. We hit our normal routine. We got to get to school. We got to get to work. We got to get the kids taken care of. And we hit our everyday grind because it's just what we do. It's all we know. Every day, that's what we do. And then somewhere in the middle of the day, the enemy drops the bomb of temptation. And we need protection. But we failed to seek it. And we failed to ask for it. And too often, it's too late. And Jesus says, don't wait till you're beat, but seek the protection through prayer, through communion, through communication with God the Father, so that you can find the protection for the battle and the war that you're in. The truth is that we don't pray for protection because we can handle it. We pray for protection because we admit we can't handle it. But here's the problem far too often. The problem far too often is not our prayerlessness, but it's our pride. It's our pride. 
Because we step into the day going, I got it. I can handle it. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I'm going to handle this on my own. I know there's that thing coming. I know the decision to make. I know I might be tempted to go, but I might. See, every day, man, every day, God has given us the opportunity to wake up, to put on the armor of God, to put on the protection of God through prayer, to know him, to be equipped for the battle ahead. Or, or, we can choose to do it in our own strength, convinced we are all right, only to get out there and have the bomb drop to find out that the enemy is always stronger. Right? God's given us prayer so that we can find protection in him. I remember uh, the conversation couple years into my wife and I's dating relationship when I told her uh, that I was getting this new feature on my cell phone plan um, called text messaging. Right, it was awesome. It was awesome. Some of the students are going like, wait, y'all had a day where there was no text messaging? Like, yeah, yeah, it's true. True story. Like, it was real. It was rough, rough times. It was. Guess what? We didn't even have social media. No, I know. Like, when we got bored, we had to pull out our Nokia phone and play Snake on it. Like, it was horrible. It was a really, really bad existence. I don't know how we made it through, but man, praise God, you didn't have to survive those really dark days of our life. But it was a true story. Like, it really happened. And like, I I survived that. I'm living testimony. Hi, I'm Brian, and I survived that. Okay. All right, listen to me. My wife, she, she had had text messaging for a few months. And so for me, my parents, I was still my parents' plan. They had not added it on to, to my plan yet. But I remember the day, like, I called her, and I was like, hey, babe, I got text. I got it. I know. It's going to be awesome. Okay. And, and here's the deal. Man, our, our relationship, it's, it's changed so much. It's, it's so different than it was over a decade ago whenever I had that conversation. But you know what? There was something significantly that changed that night, that day, when that thing got added. All right? And that was our communication. Our communication changed so much that day. Because no longer did I have to wait until my lunch break or no longer did I have to wait until like the end of the day when I got off of work and she got off of work or no longer did I have to wait till the very end of the day when I'm, I'm going to bed and then she's at her parents' house closing out the day and we had to pick up the phone. I had to like actually dial her number and, and talk to her, like use words. It was wild. I didn't have to wait for that anymore. I didn't have to wait for that. Why? Because I could communicate with her whenever I wanted and I could just shoot her a text. And you see, I, like, I probably couldn't even count the tens or hundreds of thousands of text messages that we've sent to each other over that last decade of our relationship. But, man, I, I text her all the time, and our relationship changed. I text her sometimes just to go, like, hey, babe, just want to make sure our plans are the same for the day, like that, that we're thinking the same thing. We've got to take care of the kids and all that. Sometimes I text her just to say, like, help. <laughs> I need your help. Come see me. Or, you know, how do I do this? Sometimes I text her to say I'm sorry. I have to do that sometimes. Sometimes I text her just to say I love you. But there's no doubt that that day, our relationship changed forever because of the gift of something as simple as a text message. And so here's my prayer for us today. As all of us, all of us would realize that God's given us a gift in our relationship with him through prayer. That we could, we could recognize, man, that this, this, this is a father-to-son, father-to-daughter relationship that we would align our purposes with him, that we would ask for provision, that we would ask for forgiveness, we'd seek pardon, and that God would be able to provide protection in our life. Because here's the deal, God's given us a gift, and he gave us the gift because he says, I want a relationship with you. I want to know you, and I've made a way for you to know me. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, 
visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.